Would you please take your Bibles now? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, begin reading at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. For I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is God's word. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, may you work in our hearts today in such a way that when we depart from this place, we will get up and follow Jesus diligently. In his name we pray, amen. Our text today is not about tithing. In fact, our text today is not even about regular giving to the church. It is rather about our lives. Oh, yes, it it mentions an offering. It does. We'll get to that in a minute. But it's this text is really about our lives. So I want to ask you a question. Something just ponder for a moment. Would you like to see your life opened up in a surprisingly generous way? Would you like to see your life opened up in a surprisingly generous way, even when your circumstances may not be their best? And I say that because it is seldom in this fallen world that our circumstances are always at their best, right? Truth is, seems like we're always dealing with something. There's always something that's you know, seeming maybe to drag us down or to cause us such excessive concern. There's always something. So our circumstances are not always at their best. So I ask you, would you like to see your life opened up in a surprisingly generous way, even when your circumstances may not be their best? For example, being generous with your time, that that you you actually begin to have time for others, or generous with your resources, generous with your forgiveness, generous with your compassion, generous with your praise or encouragement to others, and yes, even your money. 
Would you like to see your life opened up in a surprisingly generous manner, even when your circumstances are not at their best? If that's you, then you'll want to listen closely today. Because in today's text, we will see how this is possible. Now, a little background is necessary. We're looking at a letter, 2 Corinthians. There's 1 Corinthians and there's 2 Corinthians. What this tells us is this is the second letter that Paul has written to the church at Corinth during the middle of the first century. And in these letters, Paul has been addressing important issues in the church. You know, there's been some people that have kind of gone off the rails and there's been some abuse of certain gifts. So there's been some problems. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul is, is, is dealing with one of those important issues. He's, he's encouraging here. He's encouraging these believers to follow through on an earlier intention to take part in a relief offering for the saints in Jerusalem. And how Paul goes about addressing this issue is going to open up a window for us, really. It's going to open up a window for us to see how people become generous, how, how they open up their lives in a surprisingly generous way. In fact, let me point this out first. There's a whole lot of giving going on in these verses. Will you, will you do this for me? Will you take your finger, hopefully you got your Bible open, and look at verse 1, okay? Look in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given. You see that? Drop down to verse 3. For they, that's the Macedonian believers, they gave according to their means. Verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then in verse 9, even though the word is not used, you see the the supreme giving, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was poor, yet for your sake he became, or though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So you can't get away from it. There's a lot of giving going on in these verses. And so I want to explore them, each one of these giving elements for just a moment. And I want to look first at the giving of an offering. Okay, the giving of an offering. In verses 1 through 4, Paul is saying to this church in Corinth, he's writing this letter and he's saying, look, let me tell you about the churches in Macedonia. Let me tell you what they've done. Now, maybe, maybe a map will help. And you'll see here uh, that in this particular area of the world, now n- notice this, here is, is Macedonia. Okay, So this is the area that has... has has done something surprising, okay? And Paul's writing to this church in Corinth, okay? And he's talking about an offering that's going to help these people over here, all right? So remember, this is in a day, okay? Macedonia, Corinth, and Jerusalem. This is in a day where there's no emails, there's no texting, there's no postal service. Uh, and so Paul is, is writing this letter. And he said, look, let me, let me tell you, let me tell you about what the Macedonian believers have done. Let me, let me tell you. So that's really the heart of what's going on here in, these, in the text that we've got. And in verse 1, he says, 
I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, let's take that for just a moment. The grace of God. The grace of God has been given. Okay? Now, you remember God's grace is God's attitude of unconditioned kindness shown toward us. So it's, it's, it begins in the heart and the attitude of God. God's grace is his attitude of unconditioned kindness shown toward us. And when we think about God's grace, we, all, we often think about God's saving grace. All right? However, what we're seeing here in verse 1, Paul is referring to the consequence of God's saving grace. In other words, if someone receives God's saving grace, what is the consequence? What, what happens if this person receives or is given the grace of God? What happens in their life? What do they do? You'll notice the word given. Look at verse 1. It said, has been given. And this is a great, great word here that you ought to find some comfort in. It, the, the original language, it's, it's, it's grace that was given at a point in the past and continues to be given. See, oftentimes we think about the grace of God, and we were singing a moment ago about Jesus giving his life away. And our mind goes back to the cross and the grace of Jesus Christ there at the cross in the past. But did you know according to this verse and others, that the grace that God gives, that he gave in the past, continues in the future. So the grace that God gives was for the past, for the present, listen, and for the future. The future that you and I can't see, we're uncertain about, wonder what's going to happen next week, what's going to happen next year, for the believer We can count on future grace, grace that was given in the past and continues to be given. That's the kind of grace that is being given here to the Macedonian believers. And so Paul is saying, hey, you Corinthian believers, I want you to know what happened as a consequence of God's grace being given to the Macedonians. So that's first. Okay, that's, what, that's what he's saying. I want, I, want you, I want to call your attention, Paul said, I want to call your attention to what the consequences are of God's grace being given to the churches at Macedonia. Verse 2. Notice, for in a severe test of affliction. Now, what does that mean? It means fierce troubles. These believers in Macedonia were going through trouble. We're not told here exactly what it is. Uh, maybe, huh, let's just experiment a little bit. Maybe, maybe it was you know, depression. Maybe it was anxiety. Uh, so, some, some sort of emotional trouble. Uh, maybe it was physical persecution uh, for putting their life on the line for Christ. Uh, we don't know exactly. But whatever it was, it was fierce troubles. In other words, these Macedonians who did something amazing and surprising and had been given the grace of God, they were people who were going through fierce troubles. And notice what it says next, their abundance of joy. Now, that ought to just cause you to go, whoa, whoa. I mean, fierce trouble and joy? Can those ride in the same car? Can they be in the same life? Yes. 
Apparently so. But then, not only that, and their extreme poverty. Just so you'll understand what's going on here. These are people who, who, who has been given God's unconditioned kindness, and it has not eliminated their troubles nor their poverty. Let that sink in for just a moment. Because the prosperity gospel preachers and the word faith preachers will not touch these verses. Because what they will say is you, you hitch your wagon to Jesus and you just got enough faith, you'll be all right. I mean, this week, Gloria Copeland, Washington Post story, she said, there's no flu epidemic. Joe Margaret, there's no, she said there's no flu epidemic. She said there's no flu epidemic because Jesus gave us a vaccination at the cross and that all we need is to inoculate ourselves with the word of God that, and, and, and quote, don't receive the flu. Now, you know you do not hear that from this pulpit. As long as I'm in the pulpit, you will not hear that nonsense. But that's the kind of nonsense that will not look at these verses. Because what you have here is God's grace being given. It's been given richly to these believers, yet they are still facing trouble and even extreme poverty. Yet they have an abundance of joy. Yeah, don't miss that. Verse 3, they gave according to their means, and Paul says, and beyond their means. What he's saying is they gave what they could even far more than what they could afford. And then they turned around in verse 5 for begging us earnestly. In other words, the, the implication is this. The implication is this. Paul, it's like Paul said, that, that's, that's enough. Stop. You, 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 you're already done more than I can imagine. Stop. And then, no, 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 no. Let us do more. In verse 5, and this, not as we expected. In other words, he's saying in this letter to his Corinthian brothers and sisters, he's saying, look, they did more than we could have hoped for. So let's, let's catch up. Here, because Paul is a very reasoned guy. And he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so follow the argument here. Follow the reasoning. Paul is holding up the Macedonian believers as a beautiful, impressive, inspiring model of generosity to the believers at Corinth. He said, look, let me tell you about these people. Let me tell you what they did. Let me tell you as a result, as a consequence of God's grace being given to them, look at what they did. And then... He wants them to see that this giving, this amazing giving, was preceded by another form of amazing giving. And you see it in verse 5. Look at it with me. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Understand what Paul is saying here. He's saying... Their response was beyond our expectation. But let me tell you how this came about. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Or it's this way. They gave themselves once again to the Lord. It's been a few months ago. I I heard this reading of this verse in a public setting. I, I can't even remember exactly where it was, but this verse just 
leaped out at me. They gave themselves once more to the Lord. That word gave there is common in the New Testament. Uh, one example of its usage, you'll remember in the Gospels, there, there was a funeral procession going on. There was a young man who had died, and he was the only son of his mother. And she was grieving the loss of her only son. And you remember the story, Jesus came by and raised this boy from the dead. And it says this, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Or some translations say, Jesus delivered him to his mother. They gave themselves once more to the Lord. They delivered themselves once more to the Lord. Now, if you're with me, we've got to stop and go, wait a minute, hold it. Doesn't a believer already belong to the Lord? Doesn't, doesn't a believer already belong to the Lord? See, to be a Christian, to be a Christian is to give oneself to Jesus. It's to receive Jesus and to give ourselves to Jesus. And remember the Apostle Paul put it this way to the church at Galatia. He said, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. In other words, I live my life. And he said, I want, I want you to know, church, I live my life by trusting Jesus. Here, here's what he did for me. I live for him. I belong to him. I've given myself to him. See, to be a Christian is to give yourself to Christ and his service. It, 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 is, not, it is not just simply joining a church and uh, uh, finding a, a, a body of believers to, 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 to get with and get a social group going or, or even to be baptized. Uh, first and foremost is to give your life to Jesus and to his service. A couple of verses might help. First Corinthians chapter 6, you'll see these. You are not your own if you were bought with a price. If you're a Christian, you are not your own. Really, really, you're not your own. You were bought. You were redeemed. You belong, you belong to Jesus. Romans chapter 7. You also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. Some translations say that you may be married to another. Did you know that one of the analogies used for the relationship between a believer, a believer and the Savior is marriage? That you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead? So here's our question. And, you know, when you read the Bible, you need to ask questions. You need, to, you need to just say, God, what does this mean? Help me. What does this mean? So why are these believers giving themselves to the Lord when they already belong to the Lord? What's going on here? They already belong to Jesus. See, they could say things like people say today. I already belong. I belong to church. I was baptized when I was 10. Uh, you know, I, I'm so-and-so down to church. I do so-and-so down to church. They, they could have said that. But no, it said they gave themselves to the Lord once again. Here's what, here's what I think. Here's what I think it means. There's a time each year in which some church traditions practice the season of Lent. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about Lent if you don't already know. This Wednesday, on your calendars, it'll say Ash Wednesday. 
which I invite you to come this Wednesday night for our Ash Wednesday service, all right? Please come. This Wednesday night is Ash Wednesday, and Ash Wednesday begins the season of Lent. Uh, This has been a long, long, long time church tradition. It's a 40-day period. Lent is a 40-day period from Ash Wednesday leading up to Easter. Now, if you get home and you, you start calculating, you're going to come up with more than 40 days. And so why do we say it's 40 days? It's because you don't count Sundays because Sunday was the day that Christ rose from the dead. So they don't count Sundays. Now, don't ask me why I wasn't there when they got all this started, but it's a 40-day period. Now, now why? Though? Here, listen, listen to me carefully. Why? Lent originally began as a time for reflection, a time for repentance, a time for recommitment. You'll often hear people, maybe you work with someone, and and during Lent they're going to say something like, eh, can't have my coffee today, you know, can't have my specialty coffee, or can't have my Coke, or I'm not having chocolate this week because I give it up for Lent. Give it up. So Lent is, is a time for some of giving up and giving to. Giving up and giving oneself to. Lent originally began, and I'm, listen, listen, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm just explaining Lent here. I'm not holding Lent up as, 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 as any more than just explaining it to you this morning. But here's what I want to say that I want you to hear and see. It was a time for believers to give themselves to the Lord once again. It was a time between Ash Wednesday, a time on Ash Wednesday of repentance, and then that 40-day period of recommitment, realignment, giving up, giving to, so that when you got to Easter, you were ready to celebrate that Christ has raised the dead. They gave themselves to the Lord once more. Some call it recommitment. Some call it renewal. Some call it rededication. Uh, You might even think about it this way. Some of you have gone through renewal of your vows, right, with your spouse. And why was that? You said, look, I want to renew to my spouse that, that I love her, I love him, and I'm devoted to them, I'm dedicated to them. You wanted to renew that, you see. So, so in a way, in some way, this giving themselves to the Lord once again, once more, is a renewal. Because Christians, as Christians, we live a life of repentance. We live a life, a constant life of spiritual realignment. And that is what is happening here. They already belong to the Lord. But they're giving themselves to the Lord once more. And yet, now listen, we're we're still following a good, reasonable argument here. And yet, this giving of themselves, first the giving of the offering, then the giving of themselves to the Lord, which is why they gave the offering, this giving is preceded by an even greater giving. And you see it in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, 
by his poverty might become rich. You'll see a verse on the overhead that you all are familiar with. And we know this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only son. We sang a few moments ago, you gave your life away. Paul could have said it that way. Paul could have said it that way. But he's saying it in a different way here in verse 9. Saying it in a, in a different way. The same wonderful truth that, that Christ gave his life away for you, for me. Saying it in a different way. And so with verse 9 in front of you, I want you to ask some questions. One, in what sense was Jesus rich? Think about it. What, in what sense was Jesus rich? Was he J. Paul Getty rich? You know, the new movie that's out right now, All the Money in the World. You say, Brother Van, have you seen that movie? It's R-rated. <laughs> you know why it's R-rated? It's only because of the gruesome cutting off of the ear. Spoiler alert. Okay? That's all. That's the reason why I've got an R rating. Because, it, I mean, it's, it's gruesome from what I'm told. <laughs> Is Jesus J. Paul Getty rich? Is he Bill Gates rich? Ah, uh, you know, you know. Jesus blow them away in riches, right? Why? Because... The riches that Jesus treasured was the sharing of his Father's glory. In John chapter 17, he prayed, Father, glorify me in your presence, in your own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That, the glory that I had, okay? That implies something, right? I had it, and I want it again, okay? The, the, the way that Jesus was rich, the way Jesus sees riches, is sharing the glory with the Father, before the world ever existed, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit were enjoying the sweetest and the greatest of fellowship. That was the riches that Jesus had. But he, came, he became poor. In what way did Jesus become poor? He gave it up. Notice he said, the glory that I had. He divested himself of that glory at the incarnation. And we see it in Philippians chapter 2. Look at these words. Listen to this. Listen, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. You can just pause right there and say, he made himself nothing for me. He made himself nothing for me, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Why? Why did he do this? Why was he rich and became poor for your sake, for your sake what that you might become rich the implication is what you were poor right that you might become rich do you know if you're here this morning and you're in jesus you are rich do you know that i'm not talking about your circumstances not talking about your bank account i'm talking about romans chapter 8 these words look the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god and if children then heirs Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, okay, what are we going to get? What are we going to get? What, what kind of heir? You know, we, we're heirs, so we're going to get something. What? Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Bill Gates can only wish. Without Christ, Bill Gates or whoever, with their riches, with their billions, can only wish that they could have this kind of riches because Paul goes on in these verses to say your present sufferings in other words Christians suffer they have troubles they have adversity 
Your troubles are not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed to you. The riches that shall be revealed to you. Christ was rich and he became poor for your sake. So that through his poverty, through what he did, through what he did, not being a good person, not following rules, not being a good morals, upright standing person, not by getting baptized in the right church, uh, not by following the right religion. No, no, that through what he did, you might become rich. This was the supreme example of giving that precedes all giving. Would you look at verse 8? And I'm, I'm, I'm really turning the corner for home here. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. See, Paul, Paul doesn't come and say, I command you, put some money in the plate. I command you, give everything. You, no, he doesn't. He says, no, look, I'm just wanting to tell you about the genuineness of, of the love of these Macedonian believers who have been impacted by the grace of God, impacted by the grace of Jesus Christ who was rich and became poor. You see, it's become really clear to them. It's, it's, it, it, and the consequence of it becoming clear and wonderful and beautiful and delightful, the consequence is their lives was opened up in a surprisingly generous way. Paul was saying that Christ's selfless giving affected the Macedonians. And he's asking the Corinthians, has it affected you? And he's asking us today. If you're, if you're, if you're connecting with this, he's asking us, has it affected us? See, it is those who are most aware of Christ's selfless love who will give their lives more generously. That's the truth. Those, those who are most aware those who find this the sweetest, those who are poor in spirit that will say, look what he has done. I'm going to give my life to him once more. Because you see, when you stand before the cross thoughtfully, when you sing, you gave your life away thoughtfully. When you look at the cross Thoughtfully, it is hard to remain selfish. If you look at the cross thoughtfully, it's hard, it's hard. It's hard to refrain from giving yourself to the Lord once again. So let me ask you, what are we going to do with what we've heard today? What are we going to do with what we've heard today? Have you ever ever wanted a fresh start? I'm, I'm talking to my Christian friends today. Ever wanted a fresh start? You, the, the, the Spirit of the Lord deals with you kindly. You don't deserve it. You've been kind of blowing him off and blowing him off. Kind of, you're, you're in your little shriveled life, you know. But the Spirit of God and his kindness begins to, to deal with your heart and you think, oh, I could just have a brand new start. The devil tells you you, you don't deserve it. You're not going to get it. You'll never, you'll never, never be back where you need to be. You want a fresh start? You want to give yourself to the Lord once again? Then I ask you, why not, why not do that today? Why not do that today? And, and to help you, to help you, 
Um, look, prayers can't save you. So there's not this magic prayer out there that if you'll say it, it'll save you. Only Jesus can save. But, but, but prayer is, is, is conversation. It's, it's words. And you're going to see a prayer on the overhead. If, if, this, if this happens to be something that resonates with your heart today, you say, you know, I, I, I look for the right words. I'm looking for the right words. I, I, I want a new start. I want a fresh start. I want to recommit my life. Christ. I want to give my Lord, give my life to the Lord once again. Then, then maybe, maybe this prayer, maybe these words reflect the attitude of your heart right now. So, so let's look at it together. Heavenly Father, as the Holy Spirit holds up Christ's selfless act of giving, it stirs within me a desire to renew my devotion to and my love for Christ. May my half-hearted, shallow devotion be forsaken as I give myself anew to Christ for his service. Let's just take a moment. Let's take a moment. If that, if that is a prayer that is, you say, boy, that, that's, that's how I feel right now. It's where I'm at right now. Then want, right where you see, they want you to do business with God right now. Right now, brand new start. A God who will show unconditioned kindness, grace that we don't deserve, that you would give yourself to the Lord once again. Now I want to talk to another another type of person here today. I wonder if there's someone here today, perhaps for the very first time. You've not given yourself to the Lord. And so there needs to be that very first time that you give yourself to the Lord. And maybe the Spirit of God has been dealing with your heart and helping you to see your need. You know, maybe it's been, maybe it's been much, you know. I've, 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 I've heard so many different testimonies from men and from women, from young people, who a series of weeks and months that God had been at work and we just didn't see it. I went around you, but internally God was kindly dealing with you, helping you to see your condition and that Christ was the remedy. So maybe today you find yourself thinking, you know, I want to give myself to the Lord for the first time. Well, you'll see a prayer on the overhead today that might be, again, might be a reflection of what's going on in your heart right now. And you would pray, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross to rescue me from sin and death and to reconcile me to the Father. I choose now to turn from my sins, my self-centeredness in every part of my life that does not please you. I give myself to you. I receive your forgiveness and ask you to take your rightful place in my life as my Savior and Lord. Give me a new heart and fill me with your spirit that I might live my life pleasing to you. Now, if that's a prayer, if that's a prayer that is a reflection, sincerity of your heart, if you pray that today, you need to tell somebody. You need to tell somebody. You need to tell your spouse, your friend, somebody. You need, I'll be at the back door. I'd love to hear from you today. An opportunity, a new start. Give ourselves to the Lord.